Samaritan's Purse is in the process of setting up an emergency field hospital in western Ukraine. The DC-8 cargo plane airlifted the initial phase of the hospital on March 4th, along with disaster assistance response team members, including doctors, nurses, logistics, and other personnel. The field hospital will have two operating rooms with capacity for 14 major surgeries or 30 minor surgeries per day. The emergency room can handle 100 patients per day, and the facility also has a pharmacy and its own water and sanitation system. Ukrainian families are hurting and in desperate need of physical aid and prayer during this difficult time. You can be a part of helping the people of Ukraine. Donate now at SamaritansPurse.org. Coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. Odell, he used to hate white people. He used to hate white people. And I'm like, Bill, a lot of black folk used to hate white people, so you know. And I would take them into the Sunday school and let them go to the Sunday school. And I sat in the parking lot reading the newspaper and having a cup of coffee. I didn't want to go into church. Many black people hate. We hated ourselves because we were told we were nothing and nobody. We were fighting to be human. To say we were human. We were best friends. <laughs> Human. You know, it's interesting how people will take that particular feeling and identify it with a race or a religion or a particular look. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, Bill? Not one. Come on, Bill, you got to have one, a token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids. And I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Father God, we come to you just saying thank you for grace and mercy. God, as I was sitting in my house on Friday and my sister walked in after three weeks of double lung transplant, God, again, we thank the donor and we thank your grace and mercy and your healing power to change lives. And I just thank you for my sister, God. I thank you for our faith. We thank you for you just holding us when we can't even hold ourselves. Mm -hmm. So God, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray and believe. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we just uh, lift up uh, Odell's sister as she's gone through this tremendous surgery and recovery. Thank you, Lord, for everything that's been done uh, by the surgeons and the rest of the folks uh, that have been involved in their life. Watch over my family, keep them safe. Thank you for bringing Marshall and Lisa into our lives to hear their story today. Amen. Father, thank you for this time we're able to spend with our brothers and the sister here. I, I, I love you, Lord. We all love you. And what we seek most of all is your glory. We thank you for this opportunity to share 
your story and Marshall's life and your story in, in our lives together as friends, as a brother and sister. Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory for everything that will come out of this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Father, I concur with what has been prayed. We thank you for the wonderful privilege of prayer. Uh, we don't ever take that for granted. Thank you for that. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died for rose again. And subsequently, we get the privilege to walk in and have audience with you, King of King and the Lord of Lords. You are great I am. And we pray your blessing, Lord, upon our pro- uh, the podcast today. All that we do and say may it bring on honor and glory to you. We acknowledge we can't do one good thing without you. And we need you. We love you today. Thank you so much for loving us. In Jesus, amen. 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 Hey, Odell, how you doing today? Doing good, Bill, and recuperating from Nashville, Tennessee, and the NRB. You know, the good-looking black guy was at the NRB walking up and down the aisles, you know, being there, meeting thousands of people. I think it was like 4,000 people there. And, you know, it's interesting, Bill, out of all the people, one individual couple came up, real nice couple, and they said, hey, how can you be a Christian and you are a Democrat? And I said to myself, okay, so we just start talking, right? And the wife said, well, you want to engage. So it's almost like a jousting match, but it's like, nah, we're not going to joust, but we're going to have a conversation, not a conversation, Bill, to like someone's on a witness stand, but one for understanding. In 15 minutes of talking to her, talking to her husband, then we went away laughing. Nothing changed, but like we say always, Bill, it's hard to hate up close. So yes, a Democrat could be a Christian, my friend. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you there's a lot of Democrats in heaven. Well, I think so, too. And one of the things that I shared with the couple, and it was a very wealthy couple. I think the gentleman owned a bunch of TV shows and all that. And for our listening audience, the NRB is a, you know, it's a international association of Christian communicators. And it's probably more white evangelical than anything else. But just good people, Bill, just good people. Yeah, it was really good. We, you know, there was, um, I got a text when we were there and it was from um, a guy by the name of AJ Jackson, who, who does one of my training and his wife was going through cancer and, uh, and, you know, pretty serious cancer. And she was getting ready to do stem cell uh, transplant. And then he sent me an email. It says, our heavenly father did it again. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Jen, my wife went through extensive testing to prepare for her stem cell transplant process. They examined all the tests and concluded they could not find a trace of any cancer cells. <laughs> it happens. Amen. Answered Amen. prayers, Amen. answered prayers. You know, part of the answer prayers, Odell was, you know, I, I, I wanted to have a relationship with someone other than uh, a white guy. And, uh, and so I asked God to bring somebody in and I didn't know he was going to bring such a good looking black man into my life. But he hey, did. Listen, man, listen, listen, listen. You got to be what you pray for. You know, it, it's interesting, <laughs> Bill. You know, we went down, the good looking black guy went with you and two other white guys in the mountains in the middle of the night in the mountains or the backwoods of Nashville, Tennessee, going to get some fried chicken. So we went down there and we made it back safely. So that's the good thing, right? You betcha. You betcha. I got to share a story with you, uh, something that I came across. Uh, and, uh, while we're at the show and it talks about, uh, a guy that prayed 
uh, with his pastor and his pastor kind of asked him, I don't understand what you're talking about in his prayer. He always ended his prayer with, and Oh Lord prop us up on our leaning side. Right. And it was kind of, kind of odd. He said, tell me, tell me why, what's the story on that? And he said, well, uh, I was riding my tractor one day and I looked at the old barn and that old barn had been through windstorms, ice storms, snowstorms, been there for a couple hundred years and it was leaning pretty good. And I said, that thing's going to fall over if I don't do something. So I went back to another barn and picked up a bunch of posts and propped it up and le- it never, it just leaned, it constantly leaned, but it was propped up. And he said, uh, when I was, he said, I'm going to read this. When I was on the tractor pastor, um, it occurred to me that I'd got, had that kind of a year. Uh, I've been through some of the storms that my old barn has. Some people were bugging me. Some people were eating away at my joy, eating away at my spirit. And I got to thinking, you know, I'm still here. I'm still standing after all the stuff I've been through. The storms and the howling winds couldn't topple me. I'm still standing by the grace of God. He concluded, from time to time, I find myself leaning, leaning toward my old desires, leaning toward anger, leaning toward becoming bitter or hateful at people who are bugging me, or leaning toward going back to the old habits and the old life I used to have. And then I feel myself start to lean toward the tendencies. And when I start to feel myself lead toward, I just remember that old barn and pray out loud, Lord, thank you for propping me up on my lean inside. And I think that kind of goes into what, what our guest has gone through. He's uh, He's been through a lot. And uh, Lisa wrote a book about it. And uh, so they both had experiences. And I think that uh, when we get done with this podcast, you understand more about being propped up on your leaning side. So, you know, it's well, interesting, Bill. One of the things you said about our guest, you said, but Odell, he used to hate white people. He used to hate white people. And I'm like, Bill, a lot of black folk used to hate white people. So, you know, so let's ask our guest this morning, why did he used to hate white people, Bill? Because that's what you wanted to know, correct? You betcha. Our guest this morning is Marshall. <laughs> and Lisa, and we're picking at them. But Marshall, I'll tell you what, man, that book is so powerful, and we'll get to Lisa, but I'll tell you what, man, that book is so powerful, and God has done a work in your life, sir. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So glad to be here today. Thanks for having me. So tell us, I got a white friend, Marshall, that he just won one question. Why did you hate white people? And I'm like, Bill, everybody hated white people at first, you know, until you get to know them. So that's just my stance, making fun of my friend, and kind of go from there. What's your thoughts, sir? Well, that's a great question, because uh, when you think about it, it wasn't, uh, you know, I hate generalizations and categorizations. So uh, it wasn't all white people. And then when you hear that, you think of all white people. I never hated all white people. Uh, When I think about it, what I hated was probably the system that oppressed us, repressed us, uh, depressed us, you name oppress, and we had it. So uh, I, I was resistant to that. I, wanted, I was against the system. Uh, learning how to do that and how to come against that was, was, was my motivation. So I didn't hate all white people, just so you know that. Um, uh, I hated some of them, though, and, you know, especially those I thought they hated me. So I was ready for a fight. If they, you know, we, we couldn't come to, to agreement in the middle, then we could get it on. That's, that's kind of was my thinking. Marshall, I was there too. Um, At one time in my life, and Bill knows this, uh, we couldn't have even had this podcast because I have been afflicted in a lot of cases because of the color of my skin. So I had a 
a distrust for white people and didn't want to be around them and didn't want to interact with them. So some of them that you hated, the others I hated, some of them hated me, some of them hated you, but thank God for Jesus, because when Jesus comes into our lives, that's when it all changes. And I think the whole idea of me and Bill could not have done this show 10 years ago because we were at different places. I think that you and Lisa couldn't have written that book X amount of time. So Lisa, how did y'all come about? How did you get this, this intellectual Black man to trust you enough to open up his life and share with you? I... I assisted Marshall for seven years. He was my boss. And I like to say he's still my boss, even though I'm not, not officially working for him. I don't know, maybe I am. <laughs> um, but we, even before I started working for him, when we met, uh, we had a connection. Our families connected and we went out to, to have, we broke bread together. We went to concerts together. There was a lot of mutual, um, there were things that we we all just loved and we loved doing them together. And then working with Marshall, going into his office every day. I, I, I tell people that every time I went in, I heard a sermon and it wow. was, it was amazing. There were, there were a lot of hallelujahs and amens going on in that office. And we, Marshall, you can, you can corroborate this. We, we fought a lot of battles together and praise God throughout the course of those seven years and there's there's a there's a cement that only the Lord can bring. And once that connection is made, there ain't anything that can break it. We are brother and sister. And as Marshall's wife rolls her eyes at us sometimes, we act like the um, the brother and sister sitting in the back seat of the car, you know, <laughs> picking on everybody else. So <laughs> it's it's been an amazing relationship and continues. What do you think about Marshall being a pastor of a lily white church? What do you think about that, Bill? What What do you think if you were a lily white church member and this black pastor shows up? What What do you think would happen, Bill? Then we'll find out what actually happened. Well, I'd wonder what kind of food they'd be eating. <laughs> Come on, Bill. Come on, Bill. Go ahead. Go ahead. Why don't you pay him no attention? That's just how you really feel, Bill. <laughs> the, uh, hey, Marshall, I have a question for you. As you were talking about uh, hating people and or disliking people, I guess hate might be a strong word. But, you know, as you were talking, I put myself in your place and uh, and, and tried to intellectualize, okay, how did those feelings, did I ever have feelings of someone treating me wrong or um, treating me bad. I, it just, you know, making me feel bad, make me feel that I'm not worthy of anything or I'm useless. I'm not. A, and, you know, um, and I, and I have had that, but you know, it's interesting how people will take that particular feeling and identify it with a race or a religion or a particular look and say, I don't like white people. I, I think if a green person did the same thing to you, you probably wouldn't like them. It's not their color or their skin. It's the way they're treating you that you don't like. And, uh, and I totally get that. I totally get that. You know, my, I had an uncle that uh, uh, was missed. I don't know if he had a bad business deal with some Jewish people and he, he did not like Jewish people. He was anti-Semitic because of that. And it, it, it was all, it didn't matter what, what they, you know, if they're good or not, or, you just put them in that category. And I think people today still do that, still do that. And, uh, 
and the divisiveness that we see in our country is the result of people putting in so anyhow i appreciate you sharing that with us and being being uh right up front now let's get back to what kind of food you're going to serve at church tell them about the uh gospel praise night and soul food cafe marshall (laughs) right well one of the things we wanted to do was uh you know is this is deep stuff and, and certainly we don't have time to to dig deep as maybe we want to today, but we would, uh, yeah, we would do, uh, I wanted to expose uh, white people, some of them, you know, not all of them. Again, we don't want to generalize, but the white people that we were uh, responsible for and had the privilege to pastor and love on uh, to things of cultural things. And uh, so we would have a, a gospel praise night and we had something we called the Soul Food Cafe. I like it. And with that, we were bringing, brother, things that are, as much as it is Black, it's probably Southern as well. It would be beans, uh, cornbread, catfish, uh, chicken, fried chicken, which you guys went to look for the other night, Um, uh, sweet potato pie. You know anything about sweet potato pie, brother? We would bring sweet potato pie, uh, German chocolate cake, you name it. We would just have a night of breaking uh, bread together eating and uh, of course the word of God proclaimed first and foremost, then we'd break bread together. It was just a wonderful time. Oh man, that sounds like a wonderful time. Where is this, where was this located that you did this? This was in Hudson, Ohio. Hudson, Ohio. You know, I grew up in Parma, Ohio, outside of Cleveland. Okay. We won't hold that against you, brother. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Listen, but you're close. White socks to Lily. And I bet you wear white socks too. <laughs> I do. And I got a, I got two pink flamingos in the front yard. Yeah. Hey, uh, you know, since you're in Hudson, you serve that kind of food. I am going to be there in July. I'm going to have to come and look you up. <laughs> well, you come on. We're no longer there, but I don't think they do that anymore. It was, oh, okay. a, it was a season, you know, so that season has passed. So you, but you do live in Hudson, Ohio? No, I actually live in uh, Akron, Ohio. Okay. Uh, used to be the a rubber capital of the world, but now you might know it as a guy named LeBron James. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but this yeah. is his hometown. Yeah, that, that okay. guy. No, I, all we know is down here in uh, North Carolina is Michael Jordan. We don't talk about right. anything else. <laughs> <laughs> you know, quick question for you, though. Um, and this is for Lisa and Marshall. You know, how do you feel the Lord prepared you for working together and for writing this book? Because this book is so powerful. And Lisa, tell them how they could tell our listener audience how they could find the book, please. Certainly. Uh, we thought, we, Marshall and I have talked so much about God's providence and how he brought us together Um and, you know, it, it's amazing when you look back, you don't realize what God's doing. You know, you're part of it. And at one point, and I do not mean this in a derogatory sense, I told Marshall, hey, I grew up in Hood. I understand. And he just gave me a look that said, no, woman, you, you just don't understand. And at one point, he had occasion to go by where I did grow up. And he looked at me when I saw me the next time. He said, you did grow up in Hood. I said, I told you. <laughs> there were... Um, so many instances through my childhood on through adulthood where I was exposed and wow, had to confront. And I was confronted by, by black people uh, from when I was a child and, and a friend and I were putting a club together in one of my father's, they had a lot of rooms in the house. 
And she walked in one day and she said, I'm not going to help you anymore. My friends say you're treating me like a slave. Um, from that, you can understand she was a, she was a black girl. And I was just, I was floored. I was floored. It, it, it changed my life regarding all that. It made me oversensitive. And yet it opened my eyes to the person I needed to be, even though I didn't know the Lord yet. But fast forward, I had growing up in that multicultural neighborhood and working in areas that were multicultural helped prepare me. Um, and then, of course, you know, knowing the Lord, that was the, the greatest preparation of my relating to and with Marshall. Uh, the book is titled Someplace to Be Somebody. And it is available where all great books are found. It's obviously on Amazon. It is, uh, yeah, I humbly say. And uh, our, our publisher, Endgame Press, it's available on their website. And it's, it's just, it's all over the place, which is wonderful for, for God's glory. That's, that's, that's the biggest part. Well, whose idea was it to do the book? Did you go to Marshall and say, Marshall, we need to do this book? Uh, Marshall said, Lisa, we need to do this. Marshall, how did all this come about? Because you just, I mean, I read, man, listen, how did all this come about? <laughs> well, you know, uh, God in Acts 1 and 8 tells us that, you know, when we receive the spirit of God, that we should be as witnesses. So once God redeemed me and saved me, it was, I was always about how can I be a witness? So it gave me a, a heart and a love, certainly in, in this whole process, more for him, but for the world that he loved as well. And so going back, telling my story uh, began pretty soon out the box. I was pretty much a baby Christian, but uh, God started sending me to prison. I, I came out of prison. I had a prison experience. So uh, I started going back in there first and foremost saying, hey, man, look at me. Look what God can do. God can change you. This is not God's plan for your life. So I begin to share it. And every time I preach, not every time, but most times when I preach, I'm going to share some of that witness. I'm going to tell how where I've come from, where God has brought me from, and that if he can do it for me, he can do it for anyone. So over time, people would hear bits and pieces of this story and would say, you know, you have that recorded? Do you, you know, you have a book? Have you written that? So they would um, ask me those kind of things. And Lisa as well would say, hey, you know, you have a think about writing this you know you should write a book or something so on one particular day lisa came in and i thought about it and prayed about it and said you know uh, almost simultaneously she was coming in to talk about it. i didn't know this at the time but uh to talk about maybe writing this book and i was and before she could get it out of her mouth i asked her uh, would she consider uh writing the book and she agreed of course because god was in it, it was a divine appointment you know, it's interesting. One of, and I won't share or spoil it for individuals, but I was reading the chapter and it talked about Ruthie and Edwards and Ruthie. And this one, one, one part of you getting whipped with an extension cord. And I haven't thought about that in years, but I remember getting uh, whipped with an extension cord. And people don't understand. It's one thing to get whipped with a uh, switch. You go outside, Bill, you know, and a switch, because when they hit you with that, it breaks, and sooner or later, it goes away. Or hit with a belt, and the belt's bad enough, and then you get hit with a buckle, that's bad too. But an extension cord, Bill, like the extension cord, they're usually brown now, but they used to be black and white, and that thing hits you, and it will literally 
cut into your skin. It will usually leave a whelp. Now, in today's society, some would say that's child abuse, and it probably was child abuse too. So I got abused. But Marshall, the point in there is this. When you went into the closet or were thrown in the closet, and I could just hear you, I could see you, I could feel you sitting there in that position with your head and your knees. And I'm telling you, man, that just brought, that brought emotions to me. How did it feel sitting in there? Oh, it was confusion. I'm sobbing. You know, the one that was supposed to love you. I used to ask myself, you know, over time, I mean, if you love me, why are you hitting me with this? You know, just question someone say, how you can't love me? So I'm sitting in there crying and sobbing. And, and it's not only uh, the sobbing, but they're telling you to stop sobbing after they beat you. You know, like, stop that crying. I'm like, okay, you know, this hurts, you know. So I felt uh, very much alone is what I felt, uh, you know, sitting in that closet. Mm. But And you got whipped for telling the truth. Lisa, he was telling the truth. He was telling his father what his mother did. And it's like, and, and sometimes, Bill, in our society, we get, we get persecuted for telling the truth. Lisa, he got persecuted for telling the truth. How did you feel, Lisa, when you heard that and you wrote that? How did you take the, all that emotion and put it in such wonderful words? Well, thank you for that. Uh, it was hard. I, it was not as hard on me as it was on Marshall reliving all that, but it was, it was hard because I put myself there with him. And that's what, thank the Lord, that's what enabled me to write it in such detail. Um, and there are parts of the book that I still cry when I read them. As many edits, and if, if y'all are writers, you understand, as many yes. edits as this has been through, there are parts of the book that still just make me weep, and that is one of them. There are also parts that make me laugh, but this one, uh, it just it just makes me weep. Well, well, let me. I'm getting emotional. Bill, you go ahead. I I, I was going to ask each of them, uh, in, at some point in this podcast, to take a paragraph of your favorite part of the book and read it to us if, if if you could do that think about that um because it will give our our listeners a little idea uh, i think marshall you know I, I heard you were in vietnam correct correct and how long were you there and is that where you can't started getting angry when you came back from that give us a little context on that uh no, my anger was extended. I was already angry. I was angry, uh, you know, and, and this certainly you learn so much in hindsight. Uh, but uh, I had this inward rage because of my abuse. And it, again, it wasn't called abuse, but that's exactly what it was. But yeah. uh, I had this inward rage uh, within me against anybody. And uh, when you're abused like that and you're dealing with abusers, so I'm always suspicious of everybody. I'm sizing up. Everything I became a survivor. How do I? How am I going to get through this? And what's my inner out when I was in any encounter? So when I went to Vietnam, they just uh, it's that was just exacerbated. It just even more. So I'm already a fighter. Now I go and they train me how to fight in a different way. Uh, so now when and you have to remember uh, when I'm in Vietnam, I was there in Vietnam for 11 months and 26 days. Not that I was counting, but that's how long. <laughs> oh my god. 
you know, your goal then becomes, will I survive? How do I survive? Will I get back home? Will I ever go back home again? Will I get killed? Uh, will I die over here and, uh, defending democracy in a place where I can't go back home and, and have all the freedoms uh, that I'm fighting for for these people and so-called democracy? So that was on my mind. Mm-hmm. And then the, the 60s, so things are changing for us. Black people are me because when I'm in school in my, uh, you know, in my era, there wasn't a lot in history about us as I would sit there and, uh, having some intelligence reading. Well, there's nothing about black people sent to myself. Do we do anything? And this is part of that systematic and systemic uh, uh, racism, if I can call it that, that wrote us out of the history books. And so we didn't have much. We hated ourselves. We're talking about hating white folks. Many black people hate, we hated ourselves because we were told we were nothing and nobody. We were fighting to be human and say mm-hmm. we were human. We were classified as half human. I'm like, wait a minute. We're human beings with value and worth, but you didn't know all that. So anyhow, I'm angry already. And I go to Vietnam. This is 60. And there's a propagandist named Hanoi Hannah. I'll never forget it. And she's dropping leaflets saying, go home, black man. Your, your fight is at home. Mm. And it makes you go, hmm. Wow. That's right. This is 1966 in the middle of the jungle. And you're going, there are places I can't go back in America in 66. Restaurants I'm not welcome in. Segregation is still uh, prevalent. You know, and you're thinking, hmm. So that just, that just exacerbated my anger. And I want to fight the system. When I say white folks, I'm thinking, who's? Who's in control? And, and we know even to this day who it is, right? Ain't no need to soft shoe on it. It's it's uh, it's the white man uh, who's in charge. Ultimately, and we like to say we play by the golden rule. He that has the gold rules, so we know who's doing the ruling when it comes down just uh, bottom line things. So I was angry at that, and I wanted to do something about it. And I began my own plan of how I was going to do that. Marshall, you know, I've never heard what you just said, and I think I'm pretty sharp on things. So here you are over in the jungle, and someone's dropping leaflets saying, go home, Black man. Why are you over here killing us and we're killing you when your fight is not here? Your fight is back home in Mississippi, in Alabama, in South Carolina, in Boston. I mean, that's so powerful, man. That's so powerful. And the, the bottom line is, you know that not all of it, but some of what those pamphlets were saying were true. Amen. Yes, sir, they were true. And that's what brought my awareness. I was politically, in that sense, unaware. But those kind of things brought my awareness up. In the meantime, we're marching, right? Back home in America, there's civil rights, there's Martin Luther King, there's Malcolm X. All this change is going on in the 60s, right? We're growing our hair out. We're starting to say, hey, man, I'm black and I'm beautiful. Say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. James Brown. You know? So we're getting this sense of, hey, man, we're somebody. You've told us we're nobody. We are somebody. We come from places. We're kings and queens. We have history. We weren't always slaves, you know. So that awareness gave us a sense of pride and wanting to to change our situation, certainly for the better for us as a people in particular. Wow, thank you. Now, Lisa, you were looking for a paragraph. Bill asked you to read a paragraph that means a lot to you. Can you read it to our listening audience and explain to them out of the whole book, why did you select the paragraph that you selected, please? Wow, wow, it's hard to select just one, but this one I always come back to 
And it's interesting that so many of our readers have told us that chapter 14 is the one that really strikes them. And this is the point where Marshall is just about to find some place to be somebody. This is, this is where it gets good. And this is when he's at a little storefront church in Akron. And he had been accompanying his estranged at that point wife. And he kept hearing the message. He kept hearing the message. And he was sitting there with the congregation. And the pastor said, if any of you wants to confess your sins and receive God's gift of salvation, come forward. The preacher said each week. Marshall wanted to go forward several times, but in his mind, he kept hearing, what are they going to think of you? You're nobody. You don't belong here. He decided he needed to wait until he got himself together, cleaned up and out of the house and away from that other woman. Then he could get saved. One day, the pastor preached a message that included the quote, now is the day of salvation. Come as you are. Marshall thought, you mean I can come just the way I am? I don't have to wait until I'm cleaned up? He scooted forward on the edge of his seat. See, I'm getting chills as I read this, waiting for the altar call. At the end of the message, the pastor said, does anybody want to get saved or join the church? Marshall sprinted down the aisle, knocking off a few hats on the way. Smiles and amens followed him. Nothing held him back. All the past was just that, the past. All he knew was that he wanted Jesus. He wanted to be saved from the hell he had endured throughout his life. Come on now, save me. That, that one. I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm almost in tears and I'm just chilled. Just chilled. I love that. Marshall sprinting down the aisles, running to Jesus Christ, his Amen. Lord and personal Savior. Marshall, you got to say something, man. You got to say something. <laughs> That's right. It was God's love. And I always say that. It was, I recognized the fact that I was loved. Uh, everybody, that's where somebody, someplace to be some, who am I? Where'd I come from? Am I loved? Am I valued? We all, every human being uh, desires that. Mm -hmm. And all that I experienced, all the hurt, the pain, the, the sin that I encountered, that I was involved in, I heard the message of love, that there was a God who loved me and wanted a relationship with me. And I'm saying to myself, me, he loves me. God can love me just as I am. You mean I can come the way I am and be received? And the answer to that is yes. Come as you are. And the pastor preached that message that day. The verse, behold, today is the day of salvation. Come as you are. I said, come as I am. Wait a minute, I got to get a few things cleaned up first. Come as you are. The Spirit of God convicted my heart. And I ran down to the altar said, yes, Lord, yes. I was playing. I'm theatrical. I've been in the theater and knew how to act. And he was like, what do you want to do? Join church? But I said, no, sir, brother. I want to be like another man. What, I, what must I do to be saved? I want to be saved, mm. Pastor. Tell me how to be mm. saved. It's so simple. Pray this simple prayer of faith and believe it in your heart and God will save you. I prayed that prayer and I've never, I, I met the Lord. The Lord, I had an encounter with God, an experience. God came into my heart and changed me on the spot. Now, mm -hmm. I'm still in process, still a work in progress, but I knew I was, I knew that I knew that I'd been changed. Wow. You know, the thing about it, Lisa, you get ready to say something, then Bill was going to say something. 
Uh, you know, you think about you get saved, Bill, you get saved, Marshall, you get saved, Lisa. And then we go back to people who knew us before we were saved. It's like, mm, let me wait and see. It's going to, it's gonna, you know, I first got saved. I'm sure people were taking bets that ah, we'll see how long this lasts because we know the real Odell. So, Bill, how was it when you got saved and people knew the real Bill? Uh, how did how did you deal? Because sometimes it's the closest people, Marshall. It's the closest people, Lisa. It's the closest people, Bill. It's the closest people who love us, but they judge us. Bill, did you get judged when you got saved? You know, um, it was interesting. I, you know, Marshall can remember how he did it, and I can remember mine too. I was going through a, a, a really rough time in my life. I was going through a divorce, and I was trying to get custody of my kids. And uh, Marshall, you're talking about being abused. Uh, my kids were put in closets, and I couldn't, I couldn't help them. And it was really hard on me. And uh, and I was really, you know, I was working for a big corporation, had a lot of success with that. But I was I was hurting inside. I was broken. And uh, w- one day, a, a gentleman that worked in our creative service department, art department, um, one of my brands, came in and kind of saw my face. And he says, you OK? And I said, I just got a phone call and, and shut the door. And we talked a little. <clears throat> it turns out he was a pastor. And he says, why don't you come to our church? And I said, OK. And uh so it was in Greenwich, Connecticut, and a little old church that wasn't even their church. They were just using it on Wednesday night for service. And uh, so I went to it and uh, went to service the first time. And uh, the uh, they didn't do an altar call then, but it was a Pentecostal church. So they were speaking in tongues and doing all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, holy cow, what's going on? And uh, uh, I went the second time. And they did an altar call and I felt myself just levitate literally mm-hmm. and head to the altar. And I was, I gave myself to the Lord and, uh, but I didn't know what that meant because I, I was born and raised Catholic. I, we were taught not to read the Bible. And uh, so as, as the Lord worked on me, um, uh, I mentioned to the president of the company what I had done and he was an evangelical. And he says, well, now you need to get a Bible study. You need to get a Bible. You need to get in a small group. You need to, you know, he gave, and I said, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. And make a long story short, I, I started going to, uh, he said, uh, well, why don't you come to our church? I said, what's the name of it? And I'm used to like St. Michael and St. Francis. He said, it's called Hope Church. And I'm thinking, what kind of name is for Hope Church? <laughs> I'm thinking, that, doesn't, that, that sounds like a recreation club. So uh, my two kids, I'd get them on the weekends and I wanted them to be involved in a church. So I didn't know any, anything. So I went to Hope Church and I would take them into the Sunday school and let them go to the Sunday school. And I sat in the parking lot reading the newspaper and having a cup of coffee. I didn't want to go into church. And uh, then one day, you know, I got tired of reading the paper and I said, I'm going to go and check this out and uh, sat in the back. And I remember first guy I saw coming in was greeting me off here. That's got to be the pastor. Well, that was a, that was a door greeter. And then uh, later on, I'm sitting there and I see a guy come up leading the choir and, and preaching. And I think, well, that's got to be the pastor. And he was the choir leader. And then this huge, large man comes out overweight. And I'm saying that can't be the pastor. And it was the pastor. <laughs> and he started preaching from the Bible and uh, it, uh, it was, it fed me. 
and I couldn't get enough of it. Uh, once I got that going on, I was all in and uh, went to small group. And Marshall, you said you're still work in process. That was in 1984. So it's still a work in process. And, uh, you know, and I need those posts because I'm always leaning. <laughs> wow, that's powerful, Bill. Uh, Lisa, as we turn toward wrapping up down the road, help me understand how you were so eloquently put Marshall's being the pastor of a lily white church. You use the term lily white and lily white in the South means something. Help us on your word selection and how Marshall navigated through all that. Well, I'm sure it stemmed through something that Marshall had said at one point because Marshall had a group of African-Americans who were going to leave another congregation. They were going to start their own. And then they were approached, Marshall was approached by the pastor in Hudson of this Lily White congregation. And obviously it's used, the term is used for contrast because yes. it, it, it really was. And I, I didn't realize it having come from the multicultural background that I did. There were people there who had never interacted with a black person. That once again, something that floored me. But when they were asked, that group of them were asked to come to Hudson. Of course, they approached Marshall first, and he looked at this other pastor and said, Hudson, because he knew the reputation of the community as being white, affluent, blah, blah, blah. And then he went home and he, he mentioned it to Katika, his wife, and she looked at him and said, Hudson? <laughs> and then when they gave the, uh, the group of people the information and, and they mentioned it to them, I think to a person, Marshall, they said, Hudson? <laughs> so it, it, the reputation preceded them of, a, of that being, you know, quote unquote, Lily White. It was what 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 percentage, Marshall? Ninety ninety-eight, I think. Ninety-eight or ninety-nine percent. I think community. that qualifies. Yeah. 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 You know, in uh, it's interesting you mentioned Hudson coming from Parma. Uh Hudson was considered the elite white area. It was where all the rich white people were. Uh the people that owned the businesses that the blue collars blue collar people yes. worked at and, and the blacks worked at. And uh, so that's interesting that uh, you uh, became a pastor in that, that kind of environment. Well, you know, it had to be God, brother. It, it, that's why I saw God. That's why it's his story in my life. And not certainly Marshall uh, contrived or came up with, but his story. And that's why we want to glorify him through this book, because he opened that door. And uh, yeah, so you must have a sense of humor, God. He does. He has a sense of humor. I'm like, here I am, former black nationalist, Black Panther sympathizer, you know, uh, and here you're going to send me into an all white congregation, primarily white <laughs> congregation. God, you got to be kidding. I said, I can't do this. And he said, really, I wrestled with it. I wrestled. I prayed. I couldn't sleep. And, and finally, God spoke to me in my spirit and said, you're right. You can't do it. But I can. Wow. You go. Wow. I'll give, I'll give you who you need and I'll give you what you need. You just go. And he, and he gave it me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, Marshall, Lisa, what do you hope 
the book will achieve? Well, I'm, Marshall, go we, ahead. We, we, we're on the same page as we would write this, as we wrote it, as Lisa wrote it and I told it. Uh, we just had years together and prayed about, we always wanted to keep God first. Our goal is that God would be glorified through this book because it's his story. As you read the title, it's God's story. Just like life is, the Bible is all God's story when we really look at it. So we wanted to make sure God would be glorified and it has so many aspects to it that we know it will impact people in different ways for his glory. Like you said, uh, you know, being able to relate to some of the things uh, that, that uh, within the Bible, like the stitching cord and some of those kind of things, but it, it'll address a lot of different things. So it's our, it was always our goal to do that. And we remind ourselves of that constantly, even now that this is his, this is for God's glory. Wow. I, I wholly agree. I wholly agree because, you know, we'll pray, we're praying for wide distribution for so many people to read this, but it's not for us. It's all for him. Truly. It is all for him. What well, is and one Lisa, please remind our audience before Bill asks you the key question: How do you find Common Ground? How do they get the book again? If you wanted the name of the book, how to go about getting the book? And I recommend this book hundred percent. The book once again is called Someplace to Be Somebody, and it is available in all the major online locations, including Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Christian Book Distributors. And it's also available through our kind publishers website and game press. Perfect. Now we all ask the magic question. Uh, Lisa, how do you find common ground with folks that uh, are different? It's another, um, it's another concept Marshall and I have discussed many times. And as we become an, more like Jesus and want to become more like him. It's about building relationships. It's about one-on-one -on -one relationships that expands to include, let's say one person and then their families. And then it goes on from there. That's where the common ground is. Very good. And Marshall, how about you? How do you find common ground? Well, common ground for us as believers is, is the word of God. And, uh, you know, our born again experience. So working from that context, you know, with God's word being uh, our platform and what we stand on, what gives us direction, uh, it starts in the body of Christ, uh, certainly within relationships uh, within the body of Christ. So I have, I've always thought this, Bill, uh, what I don't understand is, is how God changes people's hearts. I don't understand how you're born again believer with hate in your heart when hate and love cannot take up the same occupy the same space so our god is is a god of love and so i'm i'm trying to cover everything with love and i believe love is is the key uh, trying to love people uh, starting in my home with my wife uh trying to love unconditionally and the bible says love covers a multitude of sin multitude just like he covered mine and continues to cover mine and covered by the blood obviously but he who is forgiven much loves much, the Bible says. And uh, so I want to be a lover, a God lover, loving people, loving our God first, the great commandment, and loving others. So that's my common ground with other believers. We ought to be uh, um, the example for the world, not the world for us. They ought to look at us and say, 
my God, these must be disciples of Christ because they're loving one another. Mm. Well said. Well said. Odell? All right, listen, this is so powerful. And again, just the whole idea of the way the book came to fruition and everything that's going on. So as a Christian, man, it's so much to learn. For those who say, how do I take a peep into what racism looks like, but also how reconciliation can come about? I think that you visit this book, Someplace to Be Somebody, God's Story in the Life of Marshall Grandin, written by Lisa Lorraine Baker. I'm telling you, and Marshall, the whole title in the page with the cigarette in the guy's mouth. I haven't seen that in a long time. So again, <laughs> I just say great job, my friend. Great job. Bill, close us out, please. I will. I will. Uh, Marshall, you know, I, 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 I didn't give you a chance if you wanted to read a paragraph from the book that you like. Well, yeah, it would be from, I'll read a quick paragraph. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. As Lisa said, that's hard to do and I wasn't prepared, but uh, it is chapter 14. And this is, uh, just reminds me of what God does. Let me read it. It says, Marshall forgave his parents and brothers. And he told him that Jesus, what Jesus had done in his life. Wow. He shared the wow. gospel with them every chance he got. But at that time, none of them wanted to change. That didn't hinder Marshall and Katika's prayers for them. Marshall continued to learn and grow as a husband and a father as he sought wisdom among the men in this church who uh, could be a good example for him. So I'll stop right there, but that's, that's in chapter 14. So that's something I'll, that is important to me, forgiveness. God has forgiven me of all my sins, past, present, and future. Can I preach it? Is that this, 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 can I preach? You can preach it. You can preach it. You can preach it. The, uh, and, and you know, and not only did God forgive you, but you forgave those that sinned against you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Amen. Amen. That's part of the Lord's prayer. Yes, sir. Wow. Guys, I, I'm going to let you all go. I am so emotionally, but so filled spiritually. Man, so powerful. Lisa, thank you. Just thank you so much. Marshall, thank you. Bill, I still love you, no matter what you say, and <laughs> nothing you can do about it. Oh, gosh. I'm working hard. I'm working hard here, boss. <laughs> love you, man. Thank you both. Uh, you... It's been a privilege. Yeah, thank, thank you, you all. Okay. Yes. All right, bye-bye. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, Executive Producer. Jeremy Powell, Creative Director. Jacob Sutherland, Director. All rights reserved. This podcast is proudly sponsored by... Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 chief financial officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly.
your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years.